Uh, Merry Christmas month. What in the world? How is it December already? Is anyone else feeling that with me? Uh, and, and I don't know, but it's okay with me because I love Christmas. I love this season. Um, even the snow, at this point in the Minnesota winter, I don't mind the snow at this point, if you understand what I'm saying. Uh, but uh, at our house, we've been set up for Christmas now for a, a number of weeks. Uh, we are one of those early people, and we just don't really care. Like, it'll be June. It's like, should we put the tree up? We should wait till July. No, I'm just kidding. But uh, we, we do love that, and we love celebrating that. We've been listening to Christmas music sometimes all day long. As a family, we are in Christmas mode. Anyone else in Christmas mode? Wave your hand nice and high. Okay, some of us are fired up about that and others are like a bunch of Scrooge Grinches over here. I don't know what to do with you, but uh, as a church, we're also, we've, we've like, we've transitioned fully into Christmas. We've got the decorations that we have started putting up and, and different things. Light the Night has been rocking the last two nights uh, in our Long Prairie location and uh, it, it has just been such a good thing. Thank you for those that invested in, in decorations and some of that stuff too. That's been such a good thing. Um, and we added a Santa hat to our turtle. <laughs> See, this is, it, we're, we're somewhere, and, and some, of us, some of us are like, I don't know what in the world is going on. And, it, uh, and it, if you haven't put that, that picture of the turtle up for our online people, do that quickly, because they're going to be really confused with us just talking about it. But uh, if you don't know what's going on with the turtle, okay, almost three months ago now, we, we started a series of messages. We, we started using the word stuck stuck all the time. And we were talking about the things in our lives that kind of keep us stuck, that keep us from moving forward in our lives, but more than that, in our spiritual lives, in our relationship with God. And we kind of have, in a way, adopted this turtle, at least I have, as our stuck mascot. And it made a lot more sense at that point because the turtle was upside down initially. And we were talking about being stuck and a turtle that's upside down is stuck. And so all that kind of made sense. Uh, but we switched from using the word stuck to using the, the word unstuck. Uh, because now we have transitioned and are talking about the things in our lives that we can be proactively doing or, or things like that that can help us um, proactively move our relationship with God forward. And so we flipped the turtle over, and it, maybe it doesn't make that much sense now if you just came, but to me it's kind of special, all right? But so many Christians are just kind of stuck in their spiritual life and um, all over the place, just stagnant and kind of complacent in the way that they do things and just understand that's not how it's supposed to work. This relationship with God and your spiritual life was really meant to be this like vibrant, alive, growing thing uh, where, where every day something new is happening, we're, we're, we're learning and we're growing and it's this beautiful, this beautiful in motion thing. And yet so many are just kind of stuck in so many different ways. And over the next few weeks, I'm kind of excited about this because we're, gonna, we're going to be kind of intertwining the Christmas story a little bit with uh, our topic uh, that we've been looking at. And so uh, my prayer for you, though, this Christmas, and we're hopefully as a church, we kind of set you up for this, is that not, not that you would just have a good experience with your family, even though that's important. Not that you would just give gifts and, 
and that that would be a fun moment and you take pic, like, and, and all that stuff is great and, and cookies and meals, I like that stuff too. But my prayer for you this Christmas is that, is that you would truly take a step forward in your relationship with God and uh, that you would kind of approach this season with that in mind and that you would never be the same because of that. All right, that's, that's the prayer, that's what, that's what we're after. So, uh, all right, enough of an introduction for today. Let's start by reading a passage of scripture together. Stand with me all over this place. And uh, this is Philippians chapter two. We're starting here, and then we're gonna jump into Luke chapter two uh, uh, eventually, and then back to Philippians chapter two is how this is gonna kind of play out. Uh, and I am excited for this. And so Philippians chapter two, starting in verse number three, here's what it says. It says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Wow, powerful passage of scripture. Excited to get there with you today. Let's pray. Father, we just... We just take a deep breath and we pause for a moment just to, just to kind of invite you in in just a very tangible way to our lives and to this moment right here. God, we know you are here. We know that you are everywhere, omnipresent, God. And, and so we just, we pray that in a way you would make us aware of, of the fact that you are already here. And so God, help us, move us, speak to us now. In your name we pray. Amen, amen. All right, give somebody a high five and have a seat. Well, this morning, uh, come back to me. All right, there we go. Wherever, I know, stand up, sit down, shake hands, high fives, and we're like, where am I? All right, but uh, here we go. Uh, this morning, uh, I want to show you the powerful impact of something that, that scripturally will, can, can absolutely change your life and change your relationship with God. It's the word humility, humility. Uh, Biblically though, we can't really talk about the word humility without talking about the opposite of humility, which is the word pride. They are opposites in the Bible. I'm gonna show you this in a moment, but they're also just kind of opposites when you look at their definition in the dictionary. I just kind of, often when I'm putting stuff together, I look up the meanings of words and sometimes things just jump out a little bit. Uh, Webster's dictionary defines pride as a feeling that you are more important or better than other people. And now there's two definitions of the word humility in Webster's dictionary. The first is this, freedom from pride. Oh, isn't that interesting? Freedom from pride is a definition of the word humility. The second, the quality or state of not thinking you are better than other people. That's humility. Exact mirroring opposite definitions in, uh, in the dictionary. Uh, the dictionary definitions are interesting, but let me show you this in the Bible as well. Uh, just kind of a, a number of things really fast. Let's start with the word pride, or as it often shows up in the Bible, the, it'll be the proud. 
a person who has proud, the pride, the proud. Uh, James 4, 6, God opposes the proud. Proverbs 16, God detests the proud. Detest, that's a crazy word, isn't it? Detest the proud. Uh, Psalm 101, 5, God will not tolerate the proud. Uh, and Psalm 18, God will humiliate the proud. When you actually take time to study this word pride or the proud in the, in the Bible, what you will find is that some of the strongest language, uh, strongest words uh, that even show up in the scripture at all were written very specifically pointed towards people that the Bible would call the proud. He opposes the proud, he detests the proud, he will not tolerate the proud, he will humiliate the proud, and there's a number of other verses I could have added to that, but I just decided four was a good number today, okay? Um, there's something about this word pride that seems to sort of move God away from people. Okay, this word pride. Uh, now the exact opposite seems to happen when humility is in the equation or to the humble. Uh, let me show you this, the humble will be given grace, the Bible says, the humble will be exalted, uh, the Bible says the humble will be rescued. Uh, in Proverbs chapter three, the humble are shown favor. There is something about humility in a person's life that seems to trigger something in the very heart of God. God gives grace, God exalts, God rescues, God shows favor to the humble, to people who have this, this thing called humility. Or we can really sum up this entire thing right here, and this is kind of all our introduction with this, uh, with James chapter four, which mentions both kind of in the same line. It just says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. In a way, it's like God turns his back on the proud, and God takes a step towards the humble, is the way that we could see this scripturally. Now, over the past number of weeks, we've been talking about uh, things that can help us get unstuck in our relationship with God because so many are, are stuck, are stagnant, okay? And we talked about, uh, we've talked about how the way that we handle our money and that how we handle our money can actually be a way to get us unstuck as we learn to live our lives with our hands open instead of closed. And it is a way, biblically, to invite God in as we kind of move in his direction with something that is really, really important to us, okay? Uh, we also talked last week about the word gratitude. And we, and we looked at, man, when, when we begin to, to live our lives in a, with a life that's filled with gratitude, Everything we do, everywhere we go, in a way, it's like God takes a step towards us and we take a step towards him. And we looked at that last week. Uh, watch those things online if you missed those. Those were powerful messages for me personally as I took time to study and some of that. But today, I wanna just present to you another, uh, another way to, in a way, move God in our direction and take a step in his. Uh, and to experience him more in our lives, in our families, in our lives, in everything we do. And that is very simply to be proactive about moving your life away from pride and towards humility. In fact, put that slide up on the screen for me. Whoa, it beat me there. Great job, okay? Uh, see, naturally, naturally, we focus our lives on ourselves. It is a very natural human thing, that's how it works. You don't believe me, just spend an hour in our toddler class, okay? Go helping with the kids stuff and wa like watching all of your kids. It's your kids, okay? You will experience a very selfish view of the world. 
It just comes naturally to little children. I want that toy. I don't want them to have that toy. Okay, that's as simple as it is. Very naturally, the the world revolves around me. It's the way they think, and naturally, that's the way you and I think as well. It's a natural piece to being alive to focus on ourselves. But listen, where you really see God biblically moving in the direction of people is when, is when people begin to move their lives from a me-focused version of the way they view themselves to a less me-focused version, okay? And so spiritual growth sometimes, if, when we look at this from a spiritual way and a spiritual level, spiritual growth can be moving from this side to this way on the scale a little bit. That's a way to grow spiritually. Uh, But now listen to me, understand something. This is not something where you can just kind of sit back and say a little prayer and all of a sudden you're like, bride's gone. I'm now the super humblest ever. Okay, It it does not work like that. Pride is sneaky in our lives. And pride is difficult to spot. In fact, most of us here today are hearing what I am talking about right now, and you are like, yeah, that's for somebody else. I know somebody who's got some pride issues, but that's really not for me, all right? Uh, and most of us, we didn't walk in here today with a massively clear understanding and awareness of the pride in our lives. More than likely, you walked in here thinking this is not an issue for you, uh, which is what makes this particular biblical issue so powerful and so deadly. Now listen to this and write this down if you're taking notes. Pride is hard to define, difficult to see, and detested by God. It is hard to define, it is difficult to see, especially in our own lives. I think that we can can spot pride sometimes in other people's lives, but it's very difficult to see it in our own lives And the worst of all is that it is actually detested by God. The thing that is detested by God in the Bible is actually very difficult to see in our own lives. So what do we do? We we don't see the pride in our lives, yet massive issue when it comes to our relationship with God. In my life, in this issue, and this has been an issue that I have worked at, thought about, studied, over and over again, because I find that like humility seems to leak out of my life. And naturally, if I'm not careful, I seem to take a step in the direction of pride and I don't even know it. And all of a sudden I find myself like, wow, where did that attitude come from? All right, and so in my life, I have found that the easier way to approach this issue is to not actually try to find all of the ways that I'm prideful in my life because I've found that is very difficult, but actually to purposefully and proactively work at pursuing humility. Pursuing humility, okay? It's to be fully aware of this issue and to purposefully pray and live in such a way that I am moving my life, okay, proactively towards humility. And I have moments of humility and I have horrible moments where pride seems to surface. And I, um, it's ugly and it's destructive. And I just feel that and I know that. Now, let me quickly take you to the Christmas story from the Bible. Because the word humble uh, really describes the story of Jesus' birth in a way that 
we probably don't even think about or realize. Uh, Luke chapter two tells the story of the birth of Jesus. Like, I'm just gonna read you the Christmas story straight out of the Bible. Um, Linus did this same thing in Charlie Brown Christmas on the stage. If you, this is the same stuff right here. It's great, okay? Some of you don't know what that is, but that's okay. All right, uh, here's what it says, Luke 2, chapter, uh, verse 4. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who he was pledged to be married to, uh, was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Verse eight, and there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Now listen to me. The characters that are involved in the Christmas story and the location in which it, it takes place are actually quite fascinating. Let, let me just kind of roll with this and, 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 and show you this. Okay, you know the story of Jesus' birth. You've heard this over and over again. Mary and Joseph, we're talking about rural, poor, simple people is who they are. They travel 50 to 60 miles by foot to Bethlehem because the government told them that they had to do that. Mary is crazy pregnant on the journey uh, and she rode a donkey the whole way, right? We don't know that. There's no donkey in the story, actually. I'm sorry to tell you that, to just break it all up, okay? But they get to their destination, and there is no place to stay. So they end up staying out back in this stable, like a place where you would keep animals. And it's in this place, in this stable, that the Son of God is born. And they wrap him in some cloths, and they put him in a feeding trough for animals. You call it a manger, all right, a feeding trough for animals. Uh, like they would put food in there for animals to eat. This is what they laid the very Son of God in. This is the setting that Jesus was born into. Now understand with me, this is a supernatural event, a turning point in history. Jesus is the King of Kings. He's the long-awaited Messiah. He's the very Son of God. And this baby would grow up to do miracles and to heal people and to speak the very words of God out of his mouth. He would forever change the course of history and the relationship between humanity and God as he would die for the sins of the world. But from a very natural, physical perspective, the Christmas story is crazy humble. It really is. Like, understand, God could have... He could have set this up any way that he wanted to. He could have put Jesus, had Jesus be born any place that he wanted to, wherever, with whoever. Jesus deserves a palace. Jesus deserves doctors. Jesus deserves a fully sanitized environment to be born into, temperature controlled. Are you with me? This is what he deserves, uh, yet he's born into a stable in the atmosphere of a barn. A barn. No doctors, 
present to cut the umbilical cord. Like, no doctor present in case something went wrong, no temperature controlled, whatever. And then the very first guests to show up who walk through the door to celebrate the birth of the very Son of God and worship Him are shepherds. Shepherds. Now, you don't know a lot about shepherds because we don't have any shepherds here in America in the same way, okay? But understand, God chose them. The angels appeared to them. This was not random. God divinely put that into place. Angels go there to them, to shepherds, okay? A shepherd's job is not a pretty one. In fact, it was one thing. All they had to do, keep the sheep alive. That was their job. How do you do that? You sleep with them. You walk with them. You fight off the predators when they come. Sheep are dumb animals. They really are. And the worst thing is, is Jesus calls us sheep at some points. By the way, we won't go into that right now. But they are one of the dumbest animals that you could ever imagine to the point where if, if there wasn't someone there to bring them food and to lead them to water uh, and all of this and protect them, they would die. They are completely dependent on someone else to help them unable to take care of themselves. They have zero sense of direction, zero understanding of anything except I need to eat, I need to drink, I need to poop. This is all they do. Some of you are like, it's kind of like my husband. Okay, but that, we're not talking about that today. Okay, that's another sermon, different sermon. But understand, it is these shepherds that show up at the birth of the very Son of God. I mean, could we at least please get someone to come through the door who had taken a shower in the last month? had more than one set of clothing. Like, this is who we have, all this 100% put together by God on purpose, exactly as he planned it with a stable and animals and shepherds. Now, all of this right here sets us up to what we really read earlier from the book of Philippians. And what we're gonna see is in the book of Philippians, we kind of get a deeper behind the scenes look at the Christmas story. You may not have read it that way. I wanna show you this. Uh, okay, and uh, there's some words that come out of this Philippians chapter, uh, chapter two is actually what it is, I said three, but there's some individual words that come out of here that I wanna define for you, and, and I think that something is going to come to life as we look at that together, okay? Uh, Philippians two, verse three, we're gonna go through this verse by verse here, and we're kinda building somewhere, and then we're gonna get there, okay, I promise, and then we'll have you out before lunchtime for sure. Okay, uh, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility value others above yourself. Do nothing out of selfish ambition, but in humility value others above yourself. So remember, we started with the definition of humility, which was the quality of not thinking that you are better than other people. And so the Bible just flat out tells us to work our way towards that. Do that. Live in, live in that way. Verse four, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. And what we're going to see is like the more we move away from pride and the more we move in the direction of humility, our care for other people just kind of comes with that in an elevated way. Okay, verse five, in your relationships with one another have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. This was originally written in Greek. We have an English translation. The word mindset is the Greek word phroneo. Phroneo, it just simply means to set one's mind on 
or to have an attitude like, or to think in a particular matter. Now, these are all things that we can proactively be doing, by the way. Uh, This is not like praying it happens. This is like, set your mind on that. Have that as an attitude, okay? Move in that direction. Work hard at moving in that direction that way. That Okay, that's the way you view yourself, your life, and the people around you. As Christians, our goal is that those things would mirror Jesus more and more and more the way that he viewed himself and his life and in the people around him. And then in verse number six is where things really kind of get behind the scenes Christmas right here, I promise. Okay, here's what it says. It says, who, and that's talking about Jesus here, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. He was born as a baby here and okay, on earth. Couple key, key phrases here. Jesus was God, but he did not consider equality with God to be something to use for his own advantage. This phrase, to be used for his own advantage, is actually one word in the original language, and it's defined this way. Someone who takes something that they have a rightful claim to. Okay? Someone who takes something who has a rightful claim, they have something they have a rightful claim to. So here's what we have so far. Jesus is God, but he chooses not to cling to what was rightfully his, his divine nature, him being God. He rightfully deserves it. He's rightfully his in every single way. He is God. Rather, he, like, instead of that, he made himself nothing. That's what the scripture says. He made himself nothing. No, this is incredible. It doesn't make sense. Jesus was God, but he chooses to make himself nothing. Now, now, make himself nothing is kind of a weird thing to say. It's like, what, is, what does that mean? Jesus wasn't nothing. Jesus was everything. How does he make himself nothing? The word nothing here, Greek word kino. Kino, very cool, huh? You don't care. All right, but here's where, here's where it matters. Straight English translation of this Greek word is the word empty. Empty, empty. Okay, some of your translations will read like emptied him, Jesus emptied himself. He made himself empty, all right? Now, what's interesting, he emptied himself. We have a phrase that we say to describe the opposite, don't we? We'll say that person is full of themselves, don't we? That person, yeah, she's so full of himself, and some of you are like pointing right now. Don't point, that's not okay. All right, we're in church, be nice to each other. Okay, we're full of ourselves. Jesus emptied himself, emptied himself. He made himself nothing by taking the nature of a servant. Now this takes things to a, to an, a completely different level uh, when you look at it. Servant, Greek word doulos, Greek word doulos. It's actually better translated as the word slave. Slave, slave, servant, kind of the same, but it's more of a slave. Listen to this definition as I was reading about this. A person who is legally owned by someone else and whose entire livelihood and entire purpose is determined by the master. Entire livelihood and entire purpose determined by the master. So here's what we have. Jesus, completely on on purpose, 100% his choice, emptied himself of the fact that he was God. Chose to make his entire life about not himself. 
Zero part of his life about himself. Made that choice, emptied every piece of God in a way uh, so that he became a slave in that way. And being found in appearance, verse number eight kind of brings it all, it explains emptying himself at the ultimate level. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. The ultimate, the ultimate, not me, but you, we see this as Jesus eventually is going to give his very life for us, for other people. Emptied himself in that. Jesus put aside every little bit of me, every little bit of himself to be born in the humblest ways that you could imagine. This is the very son of God in all of his glory and honor and and power that is due to him that he has, sets it all aside, empties himself to be born a little baby, a human being, like human beings have limits, human beings experience pain, human beings need to eat and drink and sleep, like he's born a human being, and he was born in a stinking barn. Like this is our story, a stable for animals, and his mother places him in a feeding trough where they feed the animals. He completely humbles himself in every single way. And, and we read over and over in the Bible, we read this, God's, God's response to pride and God's response to humility. Response that way, God's response to humility. And clearly, if we want to experience more, more of God in our lives from a biblical perspective, moving away from pride and moving towards humility like just seems to fire things up in such a massive way. So quickly, how do we do this? Uh, I have four things. We're going to go super fast through these, and then we're just going to pray together. But uh, first, two things when it comes to us and other people, and then two things when it comes to us and God. And write these down if you're taking notes. Uh, how do we learn to proactively humble ourselves? Uh, number one, learn to ask for help when we need it. Learn to ask for help. Uh, so many people are just out to prove themselves and to prove to everybody around them that they have what it takes, that they can do it, okay? Uh, it's just not a healthy way to live. Uh, learn to lean on other people and experience growth together. If you are trying to do everything on your own, and that is kind of your nature, I can do this, everything on my own, that's a pretty big signal that pride is lurking inside of you. I've got to prove myself, okay, and all that. Uh, number two, number two, practice listening to other people. Practice listening. Again, we're moving from a more me-centered life to a less me-centered life. These are just super practical things for me. Do more listening than talking in your life. Learn to value what other people have to say. Don't be that person that interrupts people because what that says is what I have to say is more important than what you have to say. Don't be that person who every time, like, every time somebody tells a story, you immediately respond with a story of your own that's a little bit better and a little bit bigger. You know what I'm talking about. Don't do that. Like, seriously, my story is better than your story. Oh, you, you had three? I actually had four at one point. Wow, hey, okay, don't do that. That takes the focus off of them and it puts it on you. Those are very prideful things to do. Just be aware of that type of stuff. Learn to listen 
And learn to value the people around you. Now, uh, two things for God now. Don't miss this. This is number three. Uh, We've got to pray. Pray that God would help you move away from pride and towards humility. And one of the things about prayer, seriously, when when you pray, when you pray, prayer changes us. Because when we pray, the more we pray, the more we actually become aware of the fact that we are weak. And we become more and more aware of the fact that we need God, that we cannot do this on our own. And we go to God and we say, God, I need you. And as that begins to, ch- to, to happen in our life, we begin to realize like, I am broken. I am filled with things that are not good. My attitude, the things that go through my mind, the things that, okay, that just seem to show themselves in my life, Like, I need God desperately in my life. I am fully aware of the stuff in me, like cancer, like eating at my soul uh, every single day. Pray that we would be able to see that stuff in our lives for what it is and recognize the ugliness of it and become fully aware of how destructive and and how much that impacts. And then we begin to pray more and more and more that God, would, that God would move us in that direction. Move us closer and farther. Change us, okay? Uh, sometimes we, we, we make the mistake of thinking like, I came and I say, said the prayer and now I'm a Christian. Like there's this, there's this theological word called sanctification. It's the process of even after we've become followers of Jesus, there was a process that happens the rest of your physical life where you should be growing and changing and the, the junky stuff inside of us is worked out more and more and more and we're moving in that direction. Pray that God would help you with some of that type of stuff. Uh, music team, will you guys please come right now? And number four, and we're gonna kind of end with this one right here. Uh, this is so big for me. Learn to give God glory in everything you do. In everything you do. When things go well for you, like the temptation for us is to say, I did it. Look what I have done. Look what I have accomplished. Wow. See, God, God deserves the glory. God deserves the honor. God deserves everything that we have and everything that we are. And when we learn, see, listen to this little illustration right here when we learn to take the spotlight that we naturally shine on ourselves, the way that we live, and it's just, it's just the way that we view the world. We walk around in a way with a spotlight shined on ourselves in different ways, and this shows in different ways for different people, okay? But when we learn to take that thing and to turn it around and to shine on Jesus, everywhere that we go and everything that we do and he is the one that gets the glory he is the one that receives the honor for the good things in my life i say no 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 no. this is about you god and when we begin to proactively do that and proactively move in those directions when we get to pray and say jesus i need you help me humble me and we begin to move from this pride more me-focused way of living that is natural. It's everywhere around us. Your kids have it. You have it. It's okay. It's there. 
begin to move in the direction of less of me and more of you, God. I give you the honor. I give you the glory. I'm telling you, there is not much better unstucker stuff in the whole world. That was good, wasn't it? All right. Will you stand with me all over this place? I was praying this morning even again just how how to kind of bring this message to a close and kind of a picture came to my mind one of the one of the greatest models and examples of humility uh, in humanity is when you have kings and queens okay now we don't really know this stuff because we don't have a king okay here but throughout history there have been all sorts of places that have kings and kingdoms and when you walk into the presence of a king there were certain things that you had to do in fact most of those places if you did not respond in a certain way they they would like throw you in prison kill you on the spot you respond like this when you are in the presence of a king what are some of those things you do you you, you kneel down before a king don't you and you uh, in a way as you kneel before a king, we're talking a physical human king now in history. When you kneel before a king, what you are saying is, I am down here and you are up here. I am in a way nothing and you are in a way everything. Now in a human to human thing, we don't like that. That's like, you know, it's not a good way to live and we don't like that at all. But, but think about this illustration in a way as it relates to us and God. Because I think that oftentimes we walk around in a way trying to compete with God for the glory and the honor that He deserves. And we like the way that that feels. And so we kind of fight for that. But at some point here, in a massive piece to just experiencing more of God in your life than you ever had before, is to just to come to the realization that, God, I am, I am down here and you are up here. And I am really nothing, and you are everything. And when our hearts, in a way, just kind of embrace that and begin to move in that direction, I'm telling you, it will, it, it can change things for you. So here, here's what we're gonna do. Uh, just kind of, our closing prayer today, I, I want us, I want us to do on our knees. Now you've been to churches that have done this, okay? In fact, they used to have cool things in the pews that you kneel on and they're padded we don't have that stuff okay but we might be missing something a little bit by 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 not kneeling and being reverent and so here's what we're going to do um if you're able i want i want you to just kneel where you are if uh, if you can't do that then you just go ahead and have a seat and that's fine but let's can we just all kind of do this just in a, a moment of reverence and humility and in a way, just kind of, just kind of acknowledging in this moment that, that we really are down here and that God is up there and that we really are nothing and that he really is everything. And so we're just gonna, we're just gonna end kind of by praying together in this moment, just on our knees, a very humble way to approach things. We are on our knees before the King of Kings, Jesus, we just, 
We kneel before you today, God. God, selfish people, self-centered, the stuff in our hearts and our minds is so often so ugly, God. We really do need you. We are in need. We cannot do this on our own. And we kneel today before you, God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, and the Jesus who, who emptied himself in such an incredible way, and gave his life, gave everything that he was to, to free humanity, to, to change the relationship with humans and God. And so, Lord, we just, we just acknowledge, we acknowledge you today just a moment of humility and God I just pray I pray that as we even go throughout our day that in, in our weeks God that we would be more and more aware of pride and humility in our lives and that we would be proactive and taking steps and moving in the right direction in this area and so Jesus we just thank you for that we worship you and it's in your name we pray we'll just stay kneeled for just another moment we always just want to give people an opportunity to respond to Jesus at the end of the service. And so maybe, maybe you're here today and you have never, you've never given your life to Jesus. You've never responded to him even for the very first time. Today is an opportunity for you to do that. And, and with no one looking around, every eye closed, just a time of privacy and reflection. Who here in this place would just say, I need to give my life to Jesus Christ today. I need to respond to his message. If that's you, will you just show me your hand? Show me your hand. If you're online right now, you can you can respond as well. There's a little button that you can hit or click or something. We want you to respond. Thank you. Thank you. Let's just pray this together before we're done. Let's pray. Father God, I give you my life. Thank you for sending Jesus to die for me. Forgive me of my sins change my life. In your name I pray. Amen. Come on, can we put our hands together? You can stand with me. All right, may you walk out these doors today more aware of the ugliness that pride has and accomplishes in your life and taking a step towards humility. May that change things for you. Thank you so much for coming today. You are dismissed.